Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you haven't already rated and reviewed the Single Tracks podcast in your podcast app, now's the time to do it. We're randomly selecting listener reviews to read on the show. And if we choose yours, you'll get a free Single Tracks hat in the mail. Hit pause right now write a quick review, and then listen to future episodes to find out if you won yourself a hat. Happy trails. You can't see me, but I'm wearing an awesome Singletracks hat right now. It's actually the reason my voice sounds so amazing. Okay, so maybe not, but you never know until you get a hat for yourself. Go to shop.singletracks.com to find Singletracks hats, t-shirts, stickers, tubular headwear, and can coolers. Shipping is free within the USA, and your purchase helps support the Singletracks podcast. That's shop.singletracks.com, and thank you for your support. Hey everybody, welcome to the Singletracks podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Darren Kinnaird. Darren is the general manager for the Crankworks World Tour, and he's a board member of both the Enduro World Series and the Freeride Mountain Bike Association. Thanks for joining us, Darren. No problem, Jeff. My pleasure. So we saw via Instagram that you recently suffered some broken bones in a nasty crash. How are you healing up? Yeah, I, I'm actually. It's better now. Uh, it wasn't <laughs> a. It wasn't a crash. Uh, we were doing. Now we were doing some. Uh, um, we did a volunteer day uh, doing some trail work over on Blackcomb, mm-hmm. and uh, we were on crazy train. And I took a step down off of a fallen log, Ooh. and whatever I stepped on just gave away and um, rolled my ankle pretty badly. Oh man! Had to be hauled out of the woods and and uh, taken to the clinic. The doctor did some X-rays and he thought maybe I'd broken my talus bone, so they put me in a the air cast and all that jazz. And, mm-hmm. uh, it turns out nothing was broken. It was just a bad brain. And, uh, I'm probably back to about 96%. Good. Health, so <laughs> is that a first for you to get injured doing trail work versus being on the bike? Uh, yes, that is a first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. It's dangerous business. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you you actually received your degree in business. How did you end up sort of in the mountain bike world? Yeah, I went to the uh, University of Alberta after I went to um, yeah after high school and uh, went to Europe right after that. Spent a bunch about six months sort of backpacking around Europe and mm-hmm. yeah, it was through the winter and and honestly had just always thought about moving to Whistler to be a ski bum. Mm-hmm. And so made the decision while I was in Europe and a week later I was here, had a job, um, was teaching skiing and yeah, I mean, I sort of lived here in the winters for a few years and kind of bounced back and forth between Europe and here and then met a girl and, um, she introduced me to the Worcester mountain bike park yeah. and me and a buddy and her went up and on beeline and, we were like, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> it felt like we were seven years old all over again. Uh, and so slowly just, you know, got more and more involved with different events uh, in Whistler, both on the ski side um, and the bike side. And, you know, I eventually 
uh, started as a volunteer with Crankworks back in 2005 and did that for a couple of years. And then that led to just a paid role with the event. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, here we are today. Yeah. Well, at the time when you were like making that decision to move to Whistler, did you think like, oh yeah, I can, I can get a job and, you know, make this a career or was it, was it purely just like, I don't really care what happens. I just I have to live in Whistler. Oh yeah. I mean, I was 22 at the time, so mm-hmm. I didn't have any plans. It was like, yeah, let's move to, to Whistler <laughs> and have a good time. Yeah. It was kind of around, I guess it was like, so I moved here in March of 99 and around 2003 was when they announced the Olympics, like that we third won the Olympic games and mm-hmm. that was sort of a, okay, cannot miss this. Like this yeah. is gonna be one of the coolest things ever. And so I think at that point just sort of realized that, yeah, I mean, you know, need to make a living somehow, some way uh, in Whistler and didn't really have a plan. Mm-hmm. It was just, yeah, let's just keep skiing and, and, uh, and see where it goes. And then eventually got into mountain biking and, and I mean, that was more just for fun, to be honest. I didn't have any, uh, there was never like a, Hey, I want to run a major international <laughs> festival. <laughs> it just sort of happened. Yeah. So you've been living in and around Whistler for more than a decade now. And as you mentioned before, even the Olympics were there, how's the town changed and the resort changed over the years? When I first moved here, it was definitely more of a one, maybe two season resort. It felt like, I mean, there was definitely stuff going on in the summer, but to me, that's the biggest change is there's always something going on. Like it's a you know, more of a four season, true four season resort now, mm-hmm. uh, mountain biking, hiking, uh, the lakes, um, have really, you know, helped drive that. And back in the early two thousands when we were mountain biking events were sort of just first starting here and the bike park had just opened in 97 or 98, mm-hmm. you know, there wasn't many people here in the summer, but now it's really become one of the busiest times of the year. Um, the summer is, yeah. I mean, that to me is the, the biggest change. And, and that's resulted in all sorts of opportunity for people to live here year round, to have careers year round, mm-hmm. you know, and that's changed the dynamic of, of Whistler. And, you know, if anything, it's just become a more desirable place to live and work. And um, you can actually make a living. You can, yeah. you know, it's a great place to raise kids, all that fun stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, it's changed dramatically from from just being a ski town to a true mountain resort. Right. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, today Whistler is seen as a major hub for mountain bike culture and even the industry itself. You know, you mentioned more jobs and things going on there. Was what was this sort of the case in 2004 when Crankworks was held? At least in terms of the mountain bike culture, like was that a big big thing in Whistler? You could tell that something was was sort of brewing, something was bubbling. Like people that were here, you know, there's always this like come for the winter, stay for the summer mm-hmm. sort of model that's in town. And, and and there was definitely something going on. Like there have been different variations of of them, like what the festivals and events that predated Crankworks. So there was just there was always something going on. And I think Crankworks just sort of formalized that. Yeah, you know, gave it a bit of an international feel and flavor, and and mm-hmm. just sort of put a brand on it. To be honest, so yeah, yeah, I think there was definitely something something in the water back then for sure. Yeah, well, even back then, how were mountain bikers seen? I mean, did the resort and the community embrace that, or was there some I don't know trepidation about 
mountain bikers sort of taking over the place? No, because I mean, Crankworks was truly so. Even the the, the years prior to Crankworks, the I mean, the event was born because the municipality, uh, re- the resort municipality of Whistler, Whistler Blackcomb, the lift company, and then Tourism Whistler, the tourism association, mm-hmm. all came together realizing that there was an opportunity with mountain biking to to create another season. Yeah. And at first they came up with the, I mean, the event was called the Summer Gravity Sessions. And I think that happened for two years in 2002 and 2003. And um, it was sort of how do we, you know, how do we take that to the next level? And that was, you know, out of that group, they hired um, a gentleman by the name of uh, Mark Taylor, who was working for IMG at the time. Uh, Mark's now our executive producer with all of our broadcasts and stuff. Okay. And, um, you know, they they sort of had this third party come in and look at it, like how do we turn this into a true international festival and, and give it a brand and a name and an identity. And Mm -hmm. so it's always been, yeah, I mean, it it was, the community was very much behind it and saw it as an opportunity as opposed to just, you know, what are those, you know, skids doing over there? (laughs) No, it was definitely a, um, a focused effort. Yeah. Interesting. So what would you say is it about Crankworks that makes it different from other mountain bike festivals and competitions? I think back, you know, what we always sort of focused on maybe call it eight to 10 years ago was that it was a combination of, you know, just there was a newness and less formality or formal side of mountain biking. Like we were making up things as we went, <laughs> you know, with slope style and the events like speed and style and mm-hmm. pump track. Like these were not formal disciplines. Right. And, and we've always sort of adapted, but I mean, I think the other key element was that, you know, it was the one place in the world where all the top athletes were all in one place and you could also be in the same races and events as those athletes. I mean, it's crazy to think back, you know, maybe a decade, a dozen years ago that anyone could enter the Crankworx Slope Style event. Like it was an open qualifier. Yeah. And that is crazy to, you know, think about that. Yeah. And I think over the last, you know, as, as we've evolved into the world tour, um, I mean, there's definitely some of those elements that, you know, you, you know, not just anyone can show up and drop in on the joyride course, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, all the other races, uh, that element still exists, but uh, I think it's been the unique and what's really started to happen is how the industry has gravitated towards crankworks in recent year. Yeah. And, you know, we see more and more just, you know, straight up mountain bike business, for lack of a better term, happening at Crankworks. You know, some of the, yeah. the coffee shops in town, they could probably literally rent out space by the half hour for the number <laughs> of meetings that are now happening here. Yeah. You know, because, you know, brands are taking advantage of the fact that they can, whether it's in Rotorua, Innsbruck, or here, they can bring clients, partners, you know, customers to these amazing world class mountain biking events show them a great experience, show them a great riding time, mm-hmm. you know, show them the epicenter of mountain biking and, you know, all, all in one location. And there's very few, I think, um, you know, sea otter would be something similar to that where you can have that, the, the, all the elements in, in one, mm-hmm. you know, and then, 
you know, on top of that, we're, we're broadcasting all these events to the world. So I think those are the, what's, what makes it unique today. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one of the things too, you, you kind of touched on it comparing to sea otter, you know, crankworks is, it's, it's basically mountain bike only. I mean, there's not road biking or True. anything else sort of going on, which I think makes it really unique and fun as a mountain biker. And then also one of the things I really enjoy is just how close you are to the athletes, you know, throughout the week during the events, the we we're at the whip offs watching this year and, you know, everybody, all the spectators are, you know, just kind of hanging out there in the field and, you know, all the athletes are pushing their bikes up through the crowd and you can, you can pat them on the back. You can say hi to them. And, you know, it just feels like a really intimate event. You know, I mean, it's not like, it's not like going to a world cup race where it's everybody's so focused and serious and there's a separation between the athletes and the spectators. Uh, it really feels like a community event. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a, it's a conscious effort to continue to have that feel to Crankworks, you know, despite how I think the sports side of things gets more and more serious every year, which, mm-hmm. you know, generates more interest. Um, but it's a conscious effort to do that. And, you know, I think I'm trying to remember what year it was, but it was um, Seb Kemp, you know, works with Santa Cruz, who coined the phrase that Crankworks is the world's largest grassroots mountain bike festival. <laughs> yeah. And it's a, it rings true. I mean, to, for all the reasons you just described that, yes, it's international. Yes, it's world-class and there's, you know, world-class sport happening, but all of those elements of rubbing elbows with the pros and being, you know, and easily being able to, to meet your heroes. And that doesn't happen in many other sports. So yeah, it's a conscious effort to continue to have that element. Yeah. So what are some of the biggest challenges to pulling off such a large event like Crankworks? Sometimes it's the eyes are bigger than our stomachs <laughs> syndrome. Yeah. It's like all these ideas that seem like great ideas and then you go and execute them and you're like, whoa, okay. Yeah. We're, we're really doing this. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's no shortage of great ideas and yeah, I mean, there's, there's always unknowns right? and that can be you know, just like weird schedule changes because the weather and it throws a major curveball. That's probably one of the biggest challenges, honestly, is dealing with the random, we're outdoors, we're in the mountains, the random weather things that can happen. And, you know, I think this year in Innsbruck was one of the strangest things we had ever run into where we we scheduled the slope style event to start on the Saturday morning. And because of the wind, everyone just sort of sat around all day. Mm-hmm. And it was the most stressful day of doing nothing ever. <laughs> but it was, you know, just... I'm going to get this to happen. And people are, you know, everyone's trying to, you know, all these elements of production and scheduling and advertisers and you name it. It's all trying to, how do we, you know, how do we juggle all this at the same time as trying to, you know, we may be able to start at any minute, but it just never happened. So we're fortunate though, that we have great teams in place, uh, with lots of experience um, behind each one of the teams um, in each location. Mm-hmm. And we're able to rely on that. But yeah, weather would be one of the biggest ones and, and just the unknown, like um, things that get thrown at you, curveballs, et cetera. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, Crankworks, like Whistler Blackcomb, is owned by Vail Resorts Incorporated. So what's it like working under such a large parent company? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's great. One of the really cool things I think about the la- like in the last two years here is the investment into the Whistler Mountain Bike Park that's been made really the explosion of the trails and creek side. 
I mean, the long run, I think the Creekside expansion will effectively double the size of what the bike park was three, four years ago. Yeah. And so, you know, to have the horsepower behind you to, to be able to see something like that happen, um, mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Yeah. They have a ton of resources, which is great. Well, and yeah, exactly right. The, and the, the desire to, to make investments in things that are, you know, going to continue to grow the business footprint, grow, you know, the sport, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, mountain biking in Whistler is not slowing down. And, you know, if, if those, if the investments in Creekside, you know, weren't made a few years back, then, you know, um, I'm sure we'd still be busy, but the Fitzsimmons chairlift line would be outrageous. I mean, it's, it's busy as it is during Crankworks, but it's really, in my opinion, it's spread out quite a bit um, over the last couple of years because of Creekside and, you know, the different options there are. So top of the world, et cetera. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's been, um, it's been a win for sure. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting too. I mean, Crankworks has been around now 15 years, Crankworks Whistler, and to have it still have sort of that grassroots feel that you're talking about, uh, despite being now owned by Vail Resorts. And, you know, it sounds like even from the beginning, it wasn't it wasn't really a grassroots effort. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, just a couple of guys that said, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we, you know, had this little festival? You know, it's, it's always been sort of this thing that's required resources and, you know, planning and all of that stuff. But for it to still have that grassroots feel is, is pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, it. Um, I think part of that you know, it goes, I mean, the initial vision was to, was to create that and leverage something, you know, create something that the, would be an opportunity to market the riding opportunities in Whistler uh, and create, you know, a festival in town I mean, that would have a, an impact. But because the, all of the, you know, all the money that comes in from sponsorship and registration and exhibitors and, you know, every sort of source goes back into the festival, mm-hmm. you know, allows us to continually evolve, do new things, keep it fresh. And, but at the same time, be able to manage those things. Like it's been a challenge over the years to, you know, how do we manage these massive crowds and, but keep the same feel. And I think we've been able to achieve that hopefully, you know. Yeah, definitely. Well, around the time that you took over as GM, Crankworks ended its five-year run at Winter Park in Colorado. What led to that decision to pull out of Colorado and then to go abroad to Europe instead? Yeah, it was a weird time to sort of take over because um, I'd been—I mean, I've been working for Crankworks for about three, four years, and um, had been the one sort of employee from the the main team here that was going down to Winter Park to help the event there and. Yeah, I mean, Winter Park had made the commitment to get involved in mountain biking quite early, I think, relative to a lot of other places in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And and it was it was a good spot. Like it was it was fun. I mean, people enjoyed it. It never part of the part of the. I mean, we learned from this. To be honest, was at the time, you know, we had our there was the Crankworks.com website, but that was represented Crankworks Whistler and Crankworks. When like the one at Winter Park, they had created their own website, Crankworks Colorado, uh-huh. and you know we had started to develop the social channels for Crankworks, and they developed social channels for Crankworks Colorado. Right. So what we were trying to 
do was have no you know what it makes more sense if we're all under one umbrella so let's use one website one social channels you know the same production company you know so there's a consistent look feel touch taste to what crankworks is and you know that meant that um you know it was probably going to take more resources time energy money to to do the festival in winter park um i don't think we were because back in the day we were all part of introvest mm-hmm. at this point in time we're no longer part of the same parent company right i, I think we were owned by a hedge fund <laughs> in new york called fortress at the time I, wow that sounds fun <laughs> yeah i can't remember maybe we've been sold off or i i can't even remember yeah but when you know sort of the decision was made yeah you know what i think we're going to go in our own direction was was the feedback from colorado and it was Okay, so they went on to do the Colorado Free Ride Fest um, for a few years. And um, we had had a couple of people come from uh, Le Desalp, I think in 20 or 2006 was the first time someone came, and then 2010. Mm-hmm. And we sort of, you know, sparked up a, a conversation, a dialogue about, you know, maybe in 2013 it would make sense to to do a festival in Le Desalp. Mm-hmm. And we literally had a partner at the time that had been in, uh, involved in Whistler for a couple of years, you know, come to me and say, hey, I've got X number of dollars that I need to spend in Europe. What should I do? Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, so I went back to the guys in Le Desalp and said, hey, like, we could make this happen. What do you think? And yeah, I mean, Something like seven months later, we had our first huh. European, uh, you know, international stop of of Crankworks. And yeah. the major difference was is that, you know, we had someone from our sponsorship team there to look after the partners. We had someone from our athlete team there to look after the key athletes, um, mm-hmm. the branding team, our sport operations team, our production team. So all of these these things that were sort of the key elements that you know made. The stakeholders, what Crankworx Whistler, you know, felt like, looked like, like all that sort of stuff. Yeah. They started to see that as well overseas because they were working with the same people. We had the same sort of vision for what was going on Whistler over there. And really that's what happened and and how it's worked. Yeah. Well, were those team members from Whistler, I mean, were they there in Europe for those seven months or for a lot of that? Or was it sort of they show up? few weeks before and, and are able to kind of pull it off. Yeah, no. So back, back when I took over, I was the only full-time year round employee with Crankworks. And now we have a team of nine. Wow. That's small. That still is very small for how big Crankworks is. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty funny because when I took over as the GM and we started to expand to Europe, there was no manual, there was no rule book. I'd have phone calls with the guys in France and we kind of made it up as we went <laughs> honestly <laughs> yeah and i think it was the the second year that our sponsorship client service manager uh came on part-time throughout the winter but yeah i mean all the 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 folks that would come to the desalp and the first year there was six and the second year there was eight they were all members of the team from here okay and so they had experience with crankworks and we were just we we'd get there uh, maybe the first year, I think we got there a week before to help set everything up. And um, and then eventually, you know, a few days before. But, yeah, it was all we, – we were all doing this from here with a local organizing committee that was 
you know, made up of people in, in the resort of Litazel. Wow. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah. So are you looking at other event locations for the future or do you see sticking with Innsbruck, Rotorua and Whistler? Yeah, no, we're always looking for new locations and we've we've had a number of dialogues over the last couple of years and have come close. But um, it's a pretty, you know, it takes a pretty unique understanding and commitment to making one of these happen and to yeah. to understanding the long-term benefits of, of hosting a Crankworx Festival. And I think even with the Innsbruck and Rotorua today, the reasons that they're doing it are similar, but different. Um, when Rotorua first took on the idea of doing crankworks, you know, they sort of wanted to change the perception of their community. They knew they had this great product in the forest and by town and the riding in the redwoods, mm-hmm. but there was, there was a different perception of, of the community and that's changed dramatically. Uh, you know, you hear stories of people that have moved back to Rotorua and how it has become this amazing mountain bike destination. I mean, Rotorua is one of the most amazing places I've ever ridden my bike in the world. Oh, wow. Oh, it's like the dirt there is amazing. And so for them, it was this opportunity to change the perception of their community, let the world know about the riding opportunities there and, you know, market the destination to Australians and, you know, international Innsbruck, you know, they set out to become the bike city of the Alps and whether that was mountain road, whatever. And they've hosted a number of different um, cycling events in the last few years, but they kind of want their, you know, their goal is to become the gateway of riding in the Alps and that you, you start in, in Innsbruck and, you know, they're, they're, they're working on the um, Mutterall Bike Park, mm-hmm. or the Bike Park Innsbruck, sorry, that's the old name. And, uh, you know, like it's, for them, Crankworks is a perfect fit for the types of events they like to host in Innsbruck and for the reputation of Innsbruck. I mean, they hosted Aaron Style for years and the Olympics, and I yeah. mean, there's probably no community per capita that I've ever seen host as many festivals and events as Innsbruck. And it's such a vibrant, amazing, old slash cosmopolitan city hmm. in the Alps. I mean, it's um, so Crankworx really fits with the reputation of, of Innsbruck. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it requires, um, you know, the foresight and investment of a destination that wants to become long term a great mountain biking destination. And, um, uh, you know, like that's easier said than done. You know, Whistler made that pulled that trigger 25 years ago or yeah. whatever it was or 20 years ago when they started to build the bike park and and different events prior to crankworks so yeah i mean we're always always looking to expand always looking for new locations but um far easier said than done yeah and i guess the other story the other part of it is is that you know really has that long-term vision we don't want to you know if we find a great home for crankworks we want that to be a home for crankworks we don't want to you know, go to a location for a couple of years and host the event there for three years and then move on mm-hmm. just as soon, you know, tweak the tracks, change things up. Um, it's so much easier for all stakeholders involved when you're returning to a similar destination because they know how to best, you know, leverage it, take advantage of it. Like for our sponsors, when they're in the same location year after year, they can really take advantage of, okay, we know the hotel we're in. We know how to get around. We know if we're going to host clients or, 
you know, work with our athletes or, you know, launch product that it's, this is, you know, where we can do it, how we can do it. And, you know, we've, we've really seen that those opportunities take place uh, in these uh, locations that continue year after year and with the partners that are involved year after year. Yeah. Well, with Vail owning resorts, I mean, all over the place, it seems like there's plenty of opportunities, but it, it also seems like there's sort of the, the schedule constraint. I mean, how many of these events, what do you think sort of the max number of Crankworks events you could even fit into a calendar year? Yeah, I think um, depending where in the world, I think six is the utmost max. Mm-hmm. Um, but four would be more of our shorter term goal. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different events going on nowadays. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The calendar is crowded. Yeah. I mean, the World Cup, the both down in LXC, the Enduro World Series, um, it's so hard to find weekends that – um, that there's not a conflict, mm-hmm. but no problem with four. And, you know, depending on, you know, like if we're in South America, you could do it in February, for example, right? So there's there's probably about five, six months of the year where mountain biking doesn't necessarily happen in the Northern Hemisphere, that, <laughs> yeah. that, you know, at least internationally. So um, there's, there's plenty of opportunity out there. Yeah, cool. So in 2018, Crankworks and the Freeride Mountain Bike Association joined forces for a unified slope style series. And Brett Reeder was quoted as saying one of his goals is to get slope style into the Olympics. And it seems like this move to sort of link up the Crankworks and the FMBA uh, seemed to push things in that direction. So what other steps though need to happen to make that, make that a possibility would maybe like working with the UCI makes sense at some point. Yeah. I mean, I think the connection of Crankworks to, um, with the FMBA, I mean, obviously we've always been a part of, uh, the FMB world tour, mm-hmm. but the back in the day, the FMB world tour wasn't really just a slope style series, you know, rampage was a part of it and there was some dirt jump contest, et cetera, et cetera. And we felt, the need for just a uh, a single slope style series. So we had the Crankworks slope style series that was part of the FMBA Diamond series. So mm-hmm. that was kind of confusing. Yeah. And yeah, I mean the opportunity to just have the Crankworks events effectively be the slope style World Championships was, I mean, it just made sense for a million reasons. So you know, we you know, decided to join forces and make that happen it's you know to become i mean obviously to become an olympic discipline um it needs to be uh part of the uci i mean is that a requirement is i'm not familiar with the rules is there something or does it just that's just how it usually works out it doesn't necessarily need to be part of the uci but i think it would certainly help so anytime the, the olympics is looking to the disciplines official sport governing body mm-hmm. now you know like with surfing you know whoever the surfing uh, i don't know if it's the world surf league that did that or how they would have done that but in any other discipline yeah you work through the the sports governing body and yeah i mean there's so many new events sports joining the olympics i, I would almost think it would it's going to be a while that's what it you're could saying be, yeah. yeah i mean like yeah i i mean 2028 maybe but it would take a yeah i don't i don't think it's quite there yet mm-hmm. but it would be pretty cool so yeah, yeah definitely i'm not really sure maybe Brett's working on it 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was his it was his idea. Well, while he's digging his rampage lines uh, in the next couple of weeks, he'll be thinking about how do I get the snow Olympics? Cause yeah. <laughs> knowing Brett, <laughs> he's got a lot of things on his mind. So right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, maybe we'll, maybe that'll be a little while. So what is your what is your work as a board member of the Enduro World Series look like? Is that something where you're, I mean, people imagine a board as like you have these board meetings and it's all, it's all kind of dry. And is, is that the case or what does that look like for you? Um, yeah, we just put suits on and sit around the table. <laughs> no, uh, hopefully it involves bikes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. Rolling board meetings. I like that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, no, we've had a few different um, variations of uh, board meetings over the years with EWS, uh, anywhere from, you know, uh, getting together to, you know, we hunkered down in Latouille four years ago because we had a lot of things we needed to figure out in the middle of the winter. And Mm -hmm. we fortunately got to make a couple of uh, turns in in the, it snowed a ton. So we got to do some skiing while we were there. Oh, cool. Um, But um, yeah, a lot of conference calls. Um, I mean, I don't think people have a true appreciation or understanding of just how much work Chris Ball has put in to the Enduro World Series. Uh, I think people would be, he put together a summary document that about a couple of months ago, just to share with us internally of all the things that have happened over the last six, seven years. Yeah. And myself and Rico and Fred read it. We were just like, what? <laughs> and, you know, I mean, we've been involved to help make major decisions and, and sort of help guide. But I mean, yeah, people would be blown away if they knew what Chris and the small team with the EWS, what they pulled off the last few years in particular. Um, with yeah. Hilton. I think now we're at a, um, you know, a bit of a, you know, the, the EWS has definitely matured and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, I mean, my background, like you said before, it was business and marketing. And, and I like to think I have a pretty good handle on, on partnerships and sponsorships and how you get, you know, brands involved in, mm-hmm. you know, and do something meaningful for a brand. And so I've been working with Chris over the last few months to sort of like, how do we develop partnership opportunities for um, brands to be more immersed, involved in the Enduro World Series. And so we're starting to explore those those opportunities. And, and I'm, you know, personally getting a little bit more involved in helping with some of that stuff. Cause Chris just has, like I said, his plate is so full. Yeah. You know, Fred has been very involved. Um, he doesn't host, um, races anymore. Uh, but he's been very involved in what's going on on the e-bike side of things. Hmm. Interesting. Nico is still very involved in the Italian scene and the, uh, super enduro. I mean, both those guys have businesses on the side as well that they're doing. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, None of us ever really has a huge amount of downtime, but, um, yeah, we're having fun doing it. Yeah. Enduro and the Enduro world series in particular is obviously super hot right now. And it seems like everybody is really excited about the competition side and all of that. And it's, yeah, it's been cool to see it grow and sort of mature over the years, but getting back to slope style. So slope style is in my opinion, and you know, I think it's just a fact. It's easily the most telegenic form of mountain biking. So, how does that translate into sponsorship support? 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely appeals to um, a larger demographic than the core of like a mount, like a core mountain biking. Mm-hmm. It's pretty spectacular. Uh, it's has some just amazing moments. There's not as many characters, so it's a little bit easier to tell stories. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit more. Uh, it has a broader appeal, so it has the ability to go beyond the industry in terms of uh, the type of brands and partners that it appeals to. I think over the years we've seen brands like Swatch that were involved in um, Prime, sorry, Prime Line in, in Munich. Uh, you know, Red Bull is as big in, into. Um, into slope style. I mean, to the point now where is Red Bull a mountain bike brand? <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, it's a media brand. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they're, yeah, they're energy drink and media and music and you name it, right. They're, they're very involved in, in all this stuff. Yeah. So I think, you know, from an event perspective, it's broadened the horizon of, um, brands that would be interested in mountain biking otherwise may not be yeah i mean it's it's um it's for the athletes i think at the top of the pyramid it's it's led to um you know some big wins for some of the top athletes yeah and it'd be cool to see more i mean it's tough like you know i get it like it's for the you know mountain bike brands don't sell a ton of slope style forks or frame right, or right. wheels, but it's a great um, opportunity for, you know, brand ID, brand awareness, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think there's a lot of great athletes out there that are telling great stories, whether that's through competition or content, et cetera. And so, um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be cool to see more support for those guys. And yeah. Hopefully that happens. Yeah, I mean, that, it seems like the ones that are involved are are really involved and really engaged, which is good. And I think just Red Bull uh, is a great example of that. And just some of the conversations that I've been involved in, even in the last six months, mm-hmm. how much uh, just understanding and support that that Red Bull has for the sport of mountain biking and for the sport of slope style. I mean, it's uh, they really get it, and they which is which is really cool. Yeah, awesome. Well, how has the talent pool for Crankworks competition changed over the years? Does it seem like offering equal payouts for men and women has grown female participation in the competition? And are you seeing that even in the the park riding in general? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've always had a pre people come to town and they're surprised how many women are riding downhill bikes here in Whistler. Yeah. Uh, And that goes back to years of doing, um, women's Wednesdays they were first called and then eventually we had to do it on two nights and became women's nights and <laughs> wow um you know you'd have 1200 or 1400 women participating in camps over the wow this the summer on these Mondays and Wednesday nights but the true payoff I mean when we set out to to do equal prize money for men and women and equal exposure and equal opportunity and equal representation on the podium you know the goal at the time was to inspire kids to look up to male and female heroes the same, the great heroes of the women. Mm-hmm. But there was, you know, it was we never wanted someone to say, oh, that that person rides like a girl. No, you know, like it was, we just never wanted that to be a thing in mountain biking. Yeah. And so 
you know, we've always tried to, um, you know, give that equal opportunity now. It's like five years running for, for the women. Um, I think a, a really cool story that I tell often is how when my son was like three or four years old, he, like he had those little, um, flip tricks, uh, BMX bikes, mm-hmm. and he would build slope style courses on the bed of the feet. <laughs> and he would ask my wife to write down the names of the competitors and he would like, he'd rattle them off. Like, yeah. but to him, there wasn't, um, like he knew the slope style guys, mm-hmm. but there was the other mountain bikers involved in Crankworks that he would also, they were part of my contest. So, you know, you'd have Nico Lau from, um, the cube action team back in the day. And, but he also had Anna Kabirtu, who was the, you know, original queen of Crankworks. And I just thought it was so cool that my, you know, this is what we were trying to do was have, you know, the youth look up to male and female heroes. And here's my son looking up to this amazing woman who could do amazing things on a mountain bike. Yeah. And, you know, I think the the payoff for, I mean, this is an investment in the future um, of, you know, if young girls have heroes in this sport to look up to, and I think now they have some of the most amazing uh, women to look up to, not just, you know, in Crankworks with uh, Viver Beek and Kalani Hines and Jill Kittner and Annika and and then also just you know, Tawny um, Seagrave and, and mm-hmm. Rachel Atherton and, and the World Cup. Um, and there's and there's even, you know, like I, I'm not as adverse on the, the World Cup cross-country stuff, but I, I and the names escape me, but I know there's a lot of like really great female riders coming up on that side as well. I think that, you know, five, six, ten years from now, we're going to see more and more women involved in mountain biking, more and more women competing in mountain biking. And I mean, I truly believe that if you gave uh, a five-year-old boy and a five-year-old girl a mountain bike, some gymnastics classes, by the time they're 15 years old, they could both ride the same tricks, the same jumps, the same everything. And, you know, that's one of the things that we hope to one day see Mm -hmm. is, um, is a female competitor in the top levels of slope style. And, and I, I believe that the first female competitor right now is maybe 10 years old, maybe 12, maybe eight. Yeah. She doesn't know it yet, <laughs> but she's going to be the first yeah. um, to ever compete at Red Bull Joyride or one of the other Craig or slope style events. So yeah, um, hopefully that's um, what we one day inspire. Yeah, that's really cool. And like you said, it is like a long-term investment. It's not something where, you know, first year you're offering these equal payouts, you know, it's going to happen. It it takes time. And I definitely, that's something that I noticed being at Crankworks this year is just how many women of all ages uh, were, you know, standing in the lift lines and, and going on trails that I wasn't going on. And, you know, yeah, just... Yeah, very impressive, and it it seems unique. It seems like Crankworks in particular is at the forefront there. And this year, the Women's Slope Style Tour Series uh, was held in conjunction with Crankworks. How did that go? Well, we didn't we didn't actually host a um, Women's Slope Style event, but we did. Um, so we sort of relied on the results of that series as it was taking place. Um, there was a um, women's free ride dirt jump contest series that was happening here in town as well. Mm -hmm. And sort of our um, invitation process to the uh, speed and style event, the first ever sort of, well, not the first ever women's speed and style event, because we did do a women's category in speed and style three, four years ago. 
but it at the time didn't really work. And certainly not as a world tour uh, discipline, mm-hmm. but we knew we needed like there was a demand for it. Uh, and, um, you know, if we're going to try something new, we're definitely going to try it here in Whistler. It, it, I wouldn't say we got it a hundred percent or even 80% right this year when it came to how the, the event was going to work. You never do. Uh, it took us five years to get the formula for speed and style on its own. Mm-hmm. So we knew there was going to be, um, in, you know, things that would come up that, we didn't know or mm-hmm. would be different or when it came to time to do the women's version of it. And, and we had to adapt. And, and, you know, most of the girls this year were amazing um, and worked with us. And, and, you know, knowing that this isn't going to happen just by flipping a switch, we're right. going to, you know, the rules might have to be a little different. The points might need to be a little different. The course might need to be a little different. You know, we, these are all things that we're going to learn over the years and, and are committed to, working towards it being a, a proper discipline so mm-hmm. and eventually you know the goal is that we hope that with you know uh, speed and style will give that opportunity to one day a female competitor or in in one of our soap style events um, or a full-on women's soap style series i mean Building a soap style course is a very, very large undertaking Yeah, if you can leave it up year round. Mm-hmm. Here in Whistler, we don't have that luxury. We have to take the soap style course down every year. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's, it is more money than people probably can fathom that it costs to build that thing. So to have to build two of them would be just, it's just not feasible. And, um, and yeah, so, I mean, it's maybe one day uh, when it makes sense, but um yeah, we'll, we'll we'll baby steps, learn, um, and grow as as the sport grows. Yeah, yeah, that'll be cool to watch and to see what it becomes. So, what what is your vision for the future of Crankworks? That is a very open ended. I can go in any direction. Question. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's to you know we we it's to provide value for all of the stakeholders that are invested in Crankworks. And and by that, I mean that, you know, the athletes that take their time to focus on Crankworks, to train, to win Crankworks, to compete at Crankworks, um, is to continue to provide them value and the opportunity to make a career of doing so. Um, In order to do that, you know, we need to have the media wanting to be there to cover the events. And so, you know, we have to make it accommodating and schedules work and, and make it easy for the media to help cover the events. Mm-hmm. The Red Bull in the media room is, is helpful. I like that. That, that gets me to go. Yeah. Yes. I'll, 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 I'll let them know that, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, creating that an atmosphere that is, um, conducive to the media wanting to be there. Uh, and then, cause when, when the media is there and they're telling great stories, you know, that's when you have fans and people that want to come to be at the festivals and, you know, uh, tune in and watch online. And, and then as, you know, as you have those things start to come into play, you know, partners and brands and sponsors want to help fund this, the, the growth of, of Crankworks. And, and the more of all of that that we have, um, the more it makes sense to expand Crankworks uh, as a world tour and, and go to different destinations. And then, you know, the more destinations we have, the more attractive it becomes for athletes and the wheel rolls on. So, yeah. um, you know, it's our, our vision to continue to provide 
you know, the best experience, the best value, the best opportunity um, for all of our, you know, everyone involved in, in Crankworks. And you know, um, if we can do all that, um, you know, the team here is going to have maybe the most fun you could have at any job in the world and <laughs> yeah. we all win. So yeah. right on. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us, Darren. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. Well, you can find out more about Crankworks on their website, crankworks with an X.com. And check out the schedule for 2020. If you haven't been to an event, definitely put it on your calendar. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week.